Okay, let's turn to Numbers chapter 6. I think the jumper looks lovely. (laughs) That would have been a high fashion item in my day. In fact, I recall having one like that. I think Suzanne's mother knitted it for me. Does that fit the the picture? That's that's where they come from. All right, Numbers chapter 6. Let's go ahead. You read that very well. I, uh, I thought you might choke on that a little bit, but you, you did a very good job reading that. It was exceptionally clear. In fact, you'd probably preach it better than me too, but uh, uh, Numbers chapter 6. All right, well, uh, it's good to be here. Thank God for the, uh, the work of missions that this church has uh, continued to be a part of. Uh, the flags, of course, represent countries, and uh, countries... Uh, you know, represent nation groups and people. And uh, it's a tremendous thing to be part of a church uh, in Albany Creek in Australia, but to know that your impact uh, has gone far, far beyond Albany Creek. Uh, you've, you've impacted people in other places. Uh, you'll never get to hear all the reports. You, you, you never get to hear all the testimonies. Uh, but there would be, you know, hundreds maybe thousands of nationals who've come to Christ through the mission outreach of the church over many years. And, and honestly, if they were here, you could parade them up one by one. And uh, they'd weep, they'd tell you how thrilled they were to be saved, they'd, they'd tell you how thankful they were that, that you sent somebody to them. And I know you don't get to see that, I get to see a little bit of it, it's very moving um, it helps me to appreciate my salvation because I just get used to being saved. You understand? I just get used to that. And, uh, and sometimes I can lose, you know, just maybe that fresh feeling of when I was first saved. But you get around people, and I, I see it a little bit in Thailand, and they just weep and they thank you. And, and uh, they're deeply grateful uh, to, to have heard the gospel. For them, it's like somebody turned the light on in the room. And, and they just can't believe that they were dwelling in darkness for all those years. And, and then now the light is on and they understand what things are. They see the truth. And it just is so wonderful. They, they get eternal life. They get to know the Lord. Immediately God connects up with them and he starts, starts working with them and he starts teaching them things. A lot of their fears that they had, fear hath torment, the Bible says. A lot of their fears are expelled. Uh, because they know what things are. It's really, it really is worth it. Uh, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, um, maybe sometimes your sacrifice just felt like sacrifice. But I just want to remind you, it has, it has been unto good end. And God does use it. And it is the will of God that we continue in missions. Uh, you know, if we, were, if we were born in another time, I mean, example, if we were... If we were part of the people who came out of Egypt with Moses, we probably wouldn't be having missions conferences. We probably wouldn't be thinking about, well, how are we going to reach Edom and how are we going to... Because that wasn't the emphasis of the day. Do you understand that? Uh, There's a little bit in the Old Testament. Most of it's prophetic to what was coming. But it wasn't the emphasis of the Old Testament to, to reach people in other places. That's not what they thought about when they woke up. More, more they thought about probably taking them out. And, uh, and uh, it just wasn't how they thought. 
So it was really a whole new way to think when Jesus came and, and he started dropping hints. And he started saying things like, other sheep I have. And he started, started doing things. He started talking to people that were outside of Israel. And, he was, and he was, what he was doing, he was transitioning the people of God into a new way of thinking, uh, ultimately up to the fact that he then commanded that we go forth. And, uh, and he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against us and uh, we were to take the gospel forward. So, so we were born into that time, is what I'm saying, and uh, it falls to us to continue the work of missions and reaching others in other places during our time. Uh, the next thing, as far as I can tell, on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church or when Jesus comes and we're taken up, uh, followed by the tribulation years, followed by the millennial reign, um, I don't know that anyone is going to have quite the emphasis on missions that we have had in this church age. Meaning, I don't even think in the millennial they're going to be having... I, the, the emphasis is going to return to Israel. And uh, so it's just kind of unique to our period, but we, we would not be faithful if we dropped this. If we, if we didn't do this, this, this would not be what... It wouldn't be pleasing to God that we, uh, we ignored the work of missions. Now, uh, probably most churches would agree with what I just said, but, but if you look around, what's happened in practicality is that many churches no longer support missionaries. So, so you know, they do other things. They do charitable works. And, uh, and they, they could celebrate maybe uh, putting a well in a village, which is a good thing to do, but that doesn't get people to heaven. And so can you see that a lot of churches now are even not they're, they're not, they're not, they're not doing what the Lord wanted them to do. He said to go forth and preach the gospel. And uh, so that's what we, we want to do. And I, I'm thankful for that, thankful for the flags, uh, thankful for the, the work of God. It's been great to hear the reports and, and uh, just hear about what God is, uh, is doing in other places. I'm thankful for missionaries who aren't here today, but they're out there on their field. And uh, it's not easy for missionaries. It's, uh, it's quite difficult. It's quite lonely. And uh, they do face a lot of obstacles. But the reports have been encouraging. Thank you to the church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, please continue. Please do your faith promise card. Uh, please understand that the reason for doing this is for the Lord. Uh, you ought to be giving to the local church because if we're not giving to the local church, the local church cannot do what it's, it's supposed to do. So there's obligation there to do that. But uh, beyond that, we should, be, we should be supporting missions. It was good to see Brother Boys. Uh, we had him live and we had him on a video as well. Uh, but uh, I was watching the, uh, the, the video that uh, he did. And uh, what interested me, what caught, a, caught my attention as I was watching that, was I was watching his interaction with the national he was sitting beside. And that's always very insightful. Because it doesn't matter too much how a missionary comes across here because mostly he's not here. So the few times they're out and about preaching, they might seem whatever they seem. doesn't matter too much. What you really want to watch is how they interact with the nationals because that's the people they work with. And so that, it's very insightful to how effective a missionary will be on the field by seeing how he connects with his nationals and uh, the people he works with. So I was watching that. 
And, uh, and it was just good to see that, you know, the, you know, just a little bit. And it was just very comfortable and you could just tell at the appropriate level of how people communicate over there. And uh, that, was, that was really good to, to see that. If you saw me entirely and sitting with tyres, it would be a little bit different than, than uh, how I am uh, here. All right. So we have probably about five more minutes and uh, we'll... <laughs> we'll <laughs> And we'll be, uh, we'll, we probably won't be done. All right, Numbers chapter 6. So uh, uh, thanks for the reading. This pertains to people uh, who wanted to make a Nazarite vow. This passage gets preached on quite a bit. Um, and uh, usually it's preached from the perspective of uh, don't do, you know, or separate yourself unto the Lord. And all of that is in there. But what I want you to think about, I want you to think about the fact that Every time we read these things, so this one, this one is about somebody in this time uh, who, who may have wanted to uh, do something more for God. They, they had in their heart, they wanted to go further. There's no obligation in this passage for everybody. So, so and it starts off by saying, if a man, if a man or a woman wants to, to make a Nazarite vow, then they could do that. And uh, so there were some people who, who felt led that they wanted to uh, undertake a special commitment to God above and beyond what was normal. And, uh, and so the idea was that they would separate themselves unto God and there were some things they couldn't do and, uh, and they, uh, they were to be kind of uh, special for God. Now, the whole thing of this came through Moses and, uh, and that came through the Lord. And uh, so, so the rules here come from God. So when you read the Bible, the Bible is about God more than whatever else it's about. Firstly, it's about him. The Bible is insightful to God because it's God's word. So when you read this about the Nazarites and you get these rules, you should remember that God, God was the one who decided all this. So this wasn't Moses' idea. If you want to be a Nazarite, you should do this. This didn't come from men. It came from God. And if it came from God, it becomes very, very interesting to understand the mind of God, to understand how God thinks, because God wrote the, the rules for the Nazarite. Okay, so, so remembering that, uh, uh, we'll look at it and and, and the, the idea is somebody wants to take a special vow, they decide to be a Nazarite. And in doing that, there are some things that they, they, they had to do. So number one, uh, well, not number one, but one of the things they couldn't do, they weren't allowed to cut their hair. So we might think today, oh, you know, that'd be really fashionable, probably look cool. But actually, in the day, it would have caused a certain amount of reproach. Because your hair would have been long and unkept. And really, even if you have long hair, you still want to cut it sometime. Because if you just let your hair go, just go, 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 can you imagine what you end up with? Uh, it just it gets pretty wild and pretty, and people stare at you. So a Nazarite, part of his vow was that no razor was to come upon his head. He wasn't allowed to, to, to take the, the scissors and cut his hair. So you're, immediately you're going to recognise him. You know, if you see him walking along, he's going to stand out. He's going to look different. 
And, uh, you know, you're going to look at him and go to your friends. Nazarite. <laughs> That's, you, you know, you're just going to see one. You're going to be eating and if he walks into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Saw one yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, so he's going to bear a, a certain reproach because he can't, his hair, he looks different right away. And uh, then beyond that, there are some things he's not allowed to eat. And there's some things he's not allowed to drink. And they're they're in that reading that you read so well. Uh, He's not allowed to have any strong liquor. He's not allowed to have any any wine, any any, uh, drinks made from grapes. Uh, Not only that, he's not allowed to eat dried grapes. Uh, He's not allowed to have any uh, uh, vinegar. And there's just some rules there about... What, if he's going to keep his vow, remember he's, a, he's he separated himself to God. So he's taking on a, a, a reproach, you know, in the way he looks and, and uh, he's uh, separating himself from some things. There are some things that others can do, but he can't do. All right. Now he, he decided to do this. All right. He, he, he took this vow on himself and uh, he didn't look down at other people if, uh, if they cut their hair or or uh, they had their, uh, their, their drink of uh, grape juice. Uh, he didn't look down on them because they hadn't taken the vow. But he took the vow. And the vow is unto God. And the idea is if he breaks any of these rules, he defiles himself. And if he defiles himself, he's broken his vow. And, he has, and it's all, it's done. All right? So, so he's, he's, the God has given the list there. Uh, he's not to cut his hair, no razor on his hair, no uh, vinegar of wine, no... No wine, uh, no uh, grapes and nothing from the, the vine tree. And then it goes down to say further that he was not allowed to, to defile himself by being around the dead. Okay, so he wasn't to touch any dead bodies. And uh, you say, well, I'm okay. I can't recall recently I've touched one. But uh, in the day, you have to understand that... that uh, uh, you know, things were much more hands-on and, uh, and still are uh, in Thailand and a lot of other places. And, uh, you know, if somebody dies, it, it, mostly here we'd call a, a funeral company, but uh, in the day, if, if somebody died, then what you did, you had to prepare, prepare the body for the burial. And part of the preparation of preparing the body was that you had to wash the body. And so you had to wash the body. It was done, you know, you had to do it. And, uh, and particularly, uh, if this is your family, it's family responsibility. So you can't, you can't call someone else. So you had, to, you had to wash the body and then you might take some spices or ointments and anoint the body with that prior to uh, the burial. Remember the lady who <coughs> uh, put the uh, ointment on Jesus and he said, she's prepared my body uh, four time uh, for that. So... Rules are all given here. You, you can't be around the dead at all. Notice that in, in uh, verse number 7. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or his sister when they die. So God specifically you know, knew that that would be. And God said you can't, even if it's your family, you can't, you can't if you're taking the Nazarite vow, you break the vow and you lose the whole, you know, it's over. If you, if you touch the dead. So, so now he's got his rules. And, uh, and, and uh, if we just stop there, really what we just have, we'd have a list of rules 
that the Nazarite was supposed to keep. And as long as he kept his rules, he's kept his vow, he's kept his consecration, and, uh, and uh, that would be it. But God goes on to put something else in here that I think is very profound. It's a very interesting thing that God would put here because, because it's very different to how we might think about something. I think the idea of keeping a list of rules is something that we can understand. Some people think that that's what Christianity is. It's not. But some people think it is. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't give lists of rules. People ask for them in Thailand. They, they ask, well, what can I do and what can't I do? And we say the Holy Spirit will tell you. And, uh, and, you know, and he does. We don't give the list of rules. But notice the clause here. So, so you, verse 7, you can't defile yourself for your family. You're, verse 8, you're separated. You're holy unto the Lord. And here it is in verse 9. If any man die very suddenly by him, uh, he hath defiled the head of his consecration. Uh, so here's what it's saying is, apart from keeping all the rules, if somebody dies and right beside you and you're there and you, you defile, that's it, you're done. You've defiled yourself. And I find that really interesting. So what's, what's interesting about that? Well, here's what's interesting. All the other things on the list you can probably control. You can decide, I'm not going to the barber. You can decide, I'm not going to take the vine- I'm not going to drink the grape juice. You can decide, I'm not, you, you're in control. You're in control of your separation unto the Lord up to all those other things. But then God put something in there where he showed us that uh, that Nazarite could be defiled by something that really wasn't anything to do with him. So example, you know, you're a Jewish Nazarite back then and uh, you get invited to a family reunion and uh, nothing wrong with that. And you, you know, party, whatever. And so you go to the, the family reunion and uh, you walk in. You're a Nazarite, remember, you've got the rules. You walk in, everybody's there, you're mingling, you're talking. Uh, somebody brings around the, 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 the snacks and, uh, and says, uh, uh, um, uh, glass of grape juice. And uh, you go, uh, no, 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 oh, sorry, Nazarite, sorry. And uh, they keep serving everybody else. And, uh, and, you know, you're careful. And then they bring around the snacks and uh, a, a, a raisin, perhaps. No raisin. Oh, sorry. Nazarite, you know. And, and this guy's been super careful to, uh, to make sure that, that he has not defiled himself or, or uh, broken his vow. And then he's sitting there. He's having conversation. It's a family reunion. The elderly relatives are there. And uh, suddenly, in the, in, the, in the gathering right beside him, you know, uh, Uncle Eliab grabs his chest and starts gasping <gasps> for breath. And our Nazarite is looking. And before he knows it, he falls down dead at his feet. And now he's defiled. That's it. That's it. It's all over. And uh, what can you do about that? What, what, what can you do? 
Now, now I'm really glad that verses are like this are in the Bible because I'm given to this thing that if something happens to me, I'm given to trying to work out why it happened. So, so if something goes wrong in my life, if something, something bad happens to me, I start thinking, do you, ever, do you ever say this to yourself? What did I do wrong? I start, I start assessing what did I do wrong? And I start trying to work out what was it I did that caused this to happen to me? And, or, and, or sometimes I'll start thinking, what should I have done different? And I, and I try to look at myself, and that's helpful in this way, that when you did do something, you might learn some lessons from it. So the helpful side of that being that kind of person is you do learn things because you evaluate why you have things going on in your life. And you, sometimes you might conclude, well, this was chastening or whatever it is. But it's not helpful in this instance when something happens in your life that you have no control over and you keep trying to find what did I do wrong? What, what, what did I do wrong? And what God is showing us here, and this is my first point, and they're quick, it's really, they really are quick. My, my first point is this. God understands that you can do your very best in life and things can still go wrong. And that's the beauty of that verse. That God put that in the Bible to to say uh, two things. Yes, it will affect you, but you didn't do it, but it still affects you. You can do your very best in life and things can still go wrong. You know, there, there are people in our churches who did their very best in their marriage, but it, some things went wrong. Or there were just things in that marriage that were absolutely beyond their control. There's just nothing they could do. They prayed, they wept, they wished it was different. They used all their powers of persuasion and, and, and tried everything they could to make it work. They, they even believed that, that no, no, marriage is for life and, and one man and one woman and, and, they, and they had all the right beliefs and they tried all the right things but it, it, something still went wrong. And I want to say to people in situations like that today that God understands you. You can, you can do your very best uh, in a family. You can do your very best raising your children. Uh, where you tried your, you tried your best. You, uh, you, you loved your children with a, with, a, with a pure, good, godly love. And, and you always aspired that your children would grow up and walk in the ways of the Lord. That's what you wanted for them. And, and uh, you did your best. You, you, you knew you weren't perfect, but you did your best. And uh, you, 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 you tried to get them in church and you encouraged them to, uh, to serve the Lord. You, when they did wrong, you tried to teach them how God uh, thought about those things. And you did your very, very best, yet something maybe just went wrong. Some, something, something didn't work out. What happened? Well, well, what could he do? Someone died suddenly in front of him. That's what the Bible says. 
And if someone dies suddenly, they, they, what could he say? Well, I, I shouldn't have gone to the family reunion. I, I've got to watch out for elderly people. Or what, 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 what could he say? I mean, there was nothing he could do. There was nothing he could do. It wasn't a matter of better planning. It wasn't a matter of being a better person. It wasn't a matter of, you know, uh, some shortfall in himself. Uh, but it still went wrong. And in this, uh, this life uh, that Ecclesiastes calls life under the sun, for this time being born as uh, fallen children of Adam, sin in our world, look, you, you, you're dealing with factors that you cannot control sometimes. And, you, and, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful thing to, to know that God understands uh, that you can do your very best and sometimes some things can go wrong. You can do your very best in ministry. Uh, you can do your very best on the mission field. And, uh, and uh, you did your... But just there were circumstances, there were things going on uh, that just were just, just beyond your control. And you may have prayed and you wept and you, you, you begged God for a different set of circumstances, but somebody died suddenly in front of you. And there's just, there's, just, there's just nothing you can do. Well, it's comforting, it's comforting to know that God understands that. It's comforting to know that when God penned this and God put this in the Word of God, he put that in there to show us that, that, that something can happen to someone totally consecrated to God. Not even your average Christian. Somebody who went further. Somebody who sacrificed more. Somebody who bore the reproach of Christianity when others were not bearing it. And they seemed to do all of this and did their very best, but there were circumstances that were beyond their control and, uh, and you know, someone died suddenly in front of them. And God understands that. And you should understand that God understands. I was preaching a missions uh, conference a couple of years ago in uh, Washington State, uh, a little country, a little little tiny town, uh, nice nice church, a good good pastor there, and uh, and and that church has a big emphasis on missions, and and I was preaching there, and uh, and this has happened a few times in a few different places over the years, and you know the church is making a lot of uh, they're putting a lot of emphasis on mission and missionaries and. And they'll say things like our missionary heroes and, and, uh, and uh, you preach and that particular church, they, uh, they give a generous love offering to help you with a project or something. Uh, when we, uh, when we uh, renovated the, the building, they gave us, uh, you know, 25,000 US dollars to help with that five, six years ago. And, uh, and I was preaching in a church like that, and I got done. I went down, and I was just kind of mingling a little bit. I do it sometimes. I was just mingling a little bit and uh, chatting with people a little bit and uh, kind of making my way towards the back. And, and a man came up to me, a weathered man, you know, older, weathered, looked a bit battle-scarred. And a bloke's bloke, you know, strong but, but weathered. And uh, he took my hand, shook my hand, you know, he said... He sort of seemed to tremble a little bit. He said, Thank, thanks, thanks for the message. And it was really good. And I said, oh, you know, God bless you. And, uh, 
He kept hold of my hand. He looked at me and he said, uh, yeah, I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea for 30 years. And I said, oh, oh. He said, this happened and this happened. Well, we, we, we've had to come home. And I could tell he was really hurting. And I could tell that even though he was home after 30 years of being there, he was still adjusting to, it was still was hard for him to be there. He's probably still thinking this was never our plan. We never wanted this to happen. Well, I, I don't want to be sitting here. I, I want to be up where you were talking about the field and talking about, and yet there he was. And I could, and I could, see, I could see the hurt. And I, and I just thanked him for, I said, well, thank you for all you've done, all you did, the Lord knows. But, you know, sometimes in your ministry, in your life, in your marriage, with your children, say, oh, all mine are okay. Well, God bless you. I hope so. They'll get older. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a few more challenges will come. But... Uh, you know, but, but sometimes you do your very best. And I just want you to know you're not dealing with a God who screams at you like you're some miserable failure who just, you know, couldn't keep your vow and couldn't, couldn't keep yourself together. God made provision for when things happen to people that they never planned to have that happen. And that's another reason why you might love him a little bit more. It's another reason why I think uh, God is just infinitely good and understanding. God is better than people, I've noticed. Because people won't always understand this, will they? But God, God, God understands. And for those of us maybe who so far nobody died suddenly in front of us, we just need to be a little bit understanding that just because nobody died suddenly in front of us yet doesn't mean that that doesn't happen to other people. And let's not, be, let's not rush to judgment that they somehow failed their vows or now they're not consecrated anymore. There was nothing, there was nothing that they could do. And just being part... You, do you know why people die suddenly in front of you? Because, number one, they die. And do you know why they die? Because sin came in the world and with sin came death. And death is ever a reminder of sin. So, so when you've got people dying, that's just an outworking of sin. And the, the application is that you're living in a world where you just have sin in the world. And I don't even mean it's willful personal sin. It's just the presence of sin. It's the presence of sin that causes death. And, uh, and just look, we, we, you just have that around you and sometimes this can happen. Uh, so God understands that. Number two, you can be affected by what's around you, not just by what you do. So our Nazarite was very disciplined in not doing some things, but just what was around him ended up affecting him. And we need to be conscious of that. It's one of the things I, I, uh, we, we deal with culture. I don't think in Australia, as Aussies, we think too much about, about our culture. It's just who we are. Uh, and, and what I'm saying is we don't analyse it to say what's good in our culture and what's not. When you go to the mission field and you take Jesus to another culture and you take the Bible to another culture, 
Firstly, they get saved, but then as they grow, what happens is culture starts to, culture becomes, uh, uh, you know, a factor in people walking, how they walk with God and how they don't. So, so the culture that, that just I'm in, it's, it's different everywhere, the culture I'm in, because it's, uh, it's Buddhist at heart at every level, it's very fatalistic. And a, a fatalistic approach to life is one where you just say, well, it happened because it was just meant to happen. But then the secondary approach to that is there's nothing you can do. So if you have an attitude, uh, there's nothing you can do, that's probably going to affect you when you come across hard things in the Christian life or when God is telling you to do some things and it looks like you can't do it. If you have a culture that just says at that point you just stop, you just quit, well, can you see that that's detrimental to the, to the work of God? So that's affecting them just because they're around it. And we don't realise what, what's affecting us. We don't understand that. Do you know that, that, that it, uh, Lot, Lot was defiled, Lot was vexed by just being in a place, but he wasn't even doing what everybody else was doing. But it was affecting him. And we've got to be careful. We've got to understand it's not just what I do. I can be affected by what I'm around. Uh, when I first went to Thailand, I think I may have told you this, the way they park cars, particularly in the big sea or something, is uh, they run out of car spaces. So, so they, they, they park cars just in front of other cars. And do you ever play that little game where you've got to move the, the thing to get out the, the little piece, you know, by dot moving everything else? Well, that's what the car parks are like. So everybody parks their car and you leave it in neutral and, uh, and you don't put the handbrake on and you leave the wheels straight and they just go everywhere. And so it just, it, you park and, and you come back to your car and the first time I saw it, I was, what is this? And somebody will move this car this way so they can push this one this way. Then I'll go to the one behind you and push it back a bit. And the idea is that you can get your car out. And I used to look at that and I used to think, you know, I'd kind of laugh and think, this is nutty. This is just nutty, you know. Now I go somewhere and there's two white lines and I think, what is this? <laughs> look at this. We can just, we can look. You know, you get desensitised. People come to visit us now and I watch it. They come over, they go to the big sea and I've seen preachers there and I'll go, make a lot of this. And they're laughing at the parking. And I don't get the joke anymore. I'm just... It's just normal to me. What happened? Just what was around me just sort of became me. But there's a dangerous side to that. Because we're living in a culture that is extremely anti-God. And we're around it all the time. And we don't realise that eventually our conscience makes peace with what we see on that billboard. Because we've just seen it so many times. Eventually, our conscience makes peace with what we see on the TV. And we don't understand that we're actually being defiled by things that are going on around us. Uh, just, and that's what happened to our Nazarite. Uh, he, was, he was affected by what we're around. So you can be defiled by that. Uh, number three, you can be uh, affected by the actions of others. Uh, there, there, are, there, are, there are people uh, who are everywhere who had things happen to them that they didn't do to themselves. Somebody else did it to them. But yet they remain greatly affected by that. 
And for some, it will be a lifelong journey trying to negate the negative effects of what happened to them that they didn't do to themselves. Somebody just died in front of him. He He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Somebody else did it. And that's what can happen. And I'm just saying that all of this, the Lord understands. God, God understands. When you're, when you're in the mission field, you're in the ministry, you're serving the Lord, it's not all sometimes just how we... What, what we like to do, we like to present the list and just draw a line under it. And we look at ministry that way, we look at the mission field that way, we look at life that way, we look at family that way. And we don't, we don't readily... Uh, understand or come, uh, I think, reconcile the fact that there are things sometimes that are just completely beyond our control. So what happened, and we'll finish with this, what happened was, well, uh, he was defiled. It did affect him. His vow was broken when Uncle Eliab died in front of him. And he's thinking, oh, I didn't cut my hair. You know, how many times was I offered grape juice? And I said, no, I said, no. You saw me say no. Yeah, I know. You always said no. And what about the grapes? Did you see that? I mean, right away I said no raisins. I know. I know. Mate, it wasn't you. And that's what can happen. But you're defiled nonetheless. So what happened? And here's what God said. Start again. Just start again. And that's what you can do. Just start again. Don't, don't, don't give up. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on serving. Don't, don't give up on, on going forward. The Lord would have you to go forward. The Lord would not have you to stop in that moment and say, oh, that's it, I'm done. What a waste. You know, that's the end of my life. No, no, God said, just start again. You can start again. And that's the beauty of all of this. All right, so whatever's happened, whatever you might find yourself in today, wherever you're at in life under the sun, number one, the Lord understands. The Lord understands. And Christians ought to understand also. And then number two, you can, you can move forward. There's, there's nothing here about no more hope, no more chances. You don't get to have another go, nothing like that. This is Old Testament, nothing like that. God said, no, no, you can, you can start again. And not only that, God said, all that, that you have done will be remembered. It'll be remembered. God has promised to remember that which you have done. That which you have done. All right? Let's have a, well, pastor, if you want to come, and we'll be done. Let's stand to our feet for a moment this morning and just ask you for a moment of quiet. And perhaps uh, bow our heads this morning with no one looking around. And Lisa's going to come and just play the piano this morning.